Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. ShotGlassDigital.com Rebel Force Radio's Star Wars Influences is brought to you by Little Debbie Snacks and their new Cosmic Cupcakes. Rebel Force Radio presents Star Wars Influences. You've taken your first step into a larger world. Hey Star Wars fans, Jimmy Mack here with you and welcome back to Star Wars Influences. That's right, it's Rebel Force Radio's monthly look at everything, anything and everything that inspired and contributed to the vision of Star Wars as we see it on the silver screen. And of course, can't do this show without the man who's joining me this month and every month. It's noted Star Wars artist Paul Bateman. <laughs> Hey Jimmy, hey Super Star Wars fans, how you doing? Yes, Super Star Wars fans, definitely, definitely. (laughs) Everyone is um, going crazy this week, Paul, because we finally got a good look at the X-Wing that is going to be featured in Star Wars Episode 7. J.J. Abrams shot a video for Force for Change, his second video. You remember the first one was shot on the uh, streets of a uh, marketplace on a desert planet. I (laughs) I still, I hesitate to say Tatooine at this point. Oh, it's got to be, of course it's Tatooine, right? But uh, so he was uh, there on that uh, marketplace and a strange alien walked behind him that was carrying a bunch of junk and little aliens in cages on its back. And now here's a second video we have here as a force for change, this great charity effort um, that's underway to support UNICEF. And uh, you go to omaze.com and you'll find all the information about force for change. And it's this great video where JJ is talking about what you can get for contributing to this cause. You are instantly eligible to win a visit to the set of star Wars episode seven, along with a, a role in the film. And, you know, obviously probably is a background extra. And uh, they also announced in this video that you could possibly win a private screening of star Wars episode seven to happen in your hometown. If you simply donate anywhere from a dollar up and, um, and what was amazing about this, it was clearly shot 
on the uh, back lot at Pinewood as we see J.J. standing in front of what is the new X-Wing for Star Wars Episode Seven? And uh, so, Paul, while we like to use this show to talk about the uh, influences on past Star Wars, let's look forward to the future and talk a little bit about this X-Wing fighter that debuted in the Force for Change video this week. Uh, obviously, very inspired by uh, Ralph McQuarrie painting, no doubt, right? Oh, Definitely. It's um, like everybody else. I got so excited about seeing this picture. I mean, it's just so cool to see a return to the the, the old school kind of vibe in in such a big way. And the fact that it's just over, over the road is just massively thrilling to me. I mean, that that stage is the Bond stage in the background that we can see. It's the back of it. Um, well, the new front of it now. They're actually going to put a door around the opposite side of the building so that. Uh, the odd curious fan can't kind of walk into the studio and uh, walk past an open door and spot an X-Wing, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, what a cool, cool ship. I mean, it's fantastic, isn't it? It looks, looks so old school. I love the fact that there's all this layering on it. There's, there's, you know, there's, there's battle damage, there's scratches, there's peeling paint, there's rust, a little bit of everything. And, uh, and it's easy to kind of look at this stuff and kind of think, well, we kind of had a bit of that in the prequels and, and what have you, you know, everything didn't look, absolutely perfect but it was never quite degraded to this degree and for me this feels really old school really layered really you know you can feel that the ship's had a huge life and it's been around for ages and uh, it's certainly kind of a lot closer to ralph's original concepts um for the x-wing and obviously joe's you know influences there too you can see it um but i love the, i love the new look wings and the way that there's a split engine just like ralph's original painting that he, he did that was based off one of uh, joe's sketches so it, it looks really exciting it looks to me as though a couple of fans kind of pointed out online <clears throat> and it was quite you know i think they're right and i think that the wings split vertically Unlike the old X-wings, sort of wings that split horizontally across the across the edge, if you like the front edge, it looks as though these wings split down the middle, you know. And so I think they'll probably be a lot narrower than the old X-wing looked. Um, which for me, I'd say that was probably Doug's influence coming through there because he does have a tendency to get spindly on a lot of designs. And uh, I think I think that's that's probably his handiwork, if I had to guess. Uh, but I, lo- I love the kind of grungy messy looking kind of you know struts sticking out the bottom it all kind of looks a bit haphazard and a bit kind of bashed together on a scrap heap which which just dig the heck out of and it, i love the fact that they've they've finally kind of figured out how the pilots get in and out without requiring like a giant ladder to be wheeled in by a team of people so you know we no longer need to look at a star wars movie and think like hang on wait a minute where did that ladder go you know when uh if you remember Luke getting into the X-Wing on Dagoba, I remember thinking at the time, like, hey, hang on, what happened to that ladder? Wasn't that ladder just hanging over the side there? Did Yoda move it? You know, I couldn't figure it out. But but now it looks like the, the ladder probably retracts into the side of the ship and you can see there are footholds, how the guy gets up and everything. And that that kind of thing, you know, that that bothers me as a kind of like a designer. You know, it's it's uh, you know, if there isn't an obvious way for people to get in, it would drive me kind of potty so it's really cool to see that they've gone back to that kind of let's make this make sense and make it very real world and i love that about this fighter plus i love i love the fact that it's got a great big blue stripe along the edge you know because i know you're familiar with the early scripts and what have you jimmy so you'll remember that the the earliest kind of you know before it was um um a red stripe on the x-wings you know and and red five and all that you know they were uh there were blue stripes weren't there because but then they, they changed it because they were concerned about um 
the blue stripe kind of becomes <laughs> transparent in front of the blue screen. In front of the so. blue screen, right? You'd you'd yeah. have lasers passing right through the ship and uh, yeah, in the, the the Death Star itself. But um, yeah, because of those restrictions, they had to shift it from uh, blue to red. As a matter of fact, um, uh, Luke's uh, flight squadron is referred to as the blue group in the novelization. Mm. So you have yeah. blue, you had blue and I mean, gold. I like that. I like the fact that the pilot is, they've obviously kind of leapt the design forward 30 or 40 years too. You know I mean? If I've, I've always thought that if you look at, you know, the original Star Wars, it felt like, you know, World War II. And then obviously if you're going to kind of extrapolate from that and go forward, like, you know, sort of 30 or 40 years for the, for the new movies and you need to kind of, the technology needs to kind of shift forward in a similar way. And it's, it's interesting to sort of see that the pilot, the only kind of really radical change to the pilot's costume compared to the original pilots in, in the original Star Wars is that the boots are now kind of inside the trousers, not on the outside. So they're more like a modern pilot and they're less kind of, you know, uh, like a, you know, like a World War II pilot. True, so, true. I did notice another difference, though. Yeah, the yeah. helmet's different, too, right? You know, the helmet's kind of hard to make out um, as far as spotting individual differences as far as the detail goes. But yeah. specifically what I'm talking about is the collar. Now, you know that snowspeeder mm. pilots had that collar that would mm. wrap around their neck. And it yeah. appears that the collar on this X-Wing pilot is white as opposed to orange. Mm. In um, yeah. Empire Strikes Back, you'll see he had more of an orangish color that would match his, his flight suit. But in this mm. case, the, the collar that goes around is is totally white. Now, I don't know if that's part of the vest that fits over the flight suit, that white vest, and then you mm. put the life support up on top of that. I don't know if it's it, – to me, it looks like, yes, it is. It is part of that. So, mm. um, yeah, it, it just appears the collar extends up a little bit higher, and it's completely – white in color and i do see what you're saying about the boots too but who is this yeah. guy who is this pilot i want to know i want names i, I was, know I was straight away i was like is that boyega is that is that john boyega couldn't i couldn't tell you know from, from the tell. back but the, he had he had quite a swagger didn't he as he went towards the ship so i was thinking is that could that be it could be he, kind of feel like they're gonna down the road they'll probably reveal it to us won't they because i'm sure it's not just some some extra i'm sure it's i'm sure it's a character but we don't know it yet or a stuntman you know. or something. And then, of yeah. course, you, you know, notice the sandy environment, which uh, leads you to believe that even though it's being <laughs> shot in England, this is uh, most likely the planet Tatooine. Yeah, it looks like a – yeah, I mean, that, that back lot, you know, they've had the – they've put all kinds of things out there you know so i mean i, I suspect that all they'll, all they'll do is just drop a bunch of blue screens around it and you know bob's your uncle but uh, i mean that's <laughs> literally it's, it's two seconds away from uh, from a car park so it's oh. it's since there's not actually a massive amount of space to construct around it uh-huh. um the, the the opposite side of the studio is is the place where there's a there's a larger back lot where they're building stuff that appears to be um Tatooine from some of the pictures that have been released just recently, but this is not that that end of the studio. This is a, a smaller space, so I think this is probably going to just going to be a blue screen scene of some kind. Sure. Maybe, maybe a few props. Although I don't know, they shot some stuff for uh, Prometheus where that is at the minute now. So the the stage that you can see in the background is the Bond stage, and and one end can be opened up completely. And when they did Prometheus, they actually kind of extended the length of the the uh, stage and doubled its length. Oh. So there is there is some space, but all I can say is that last time I was over there, I didn't see any kind of huge amount of construction uh, on that side of the building. But maybe you know, I mean, these guys work fast, so they could have could have gone up by now. They could have put something up there by now. And then, you know, looking at this ladder, 
Um, mm. it, uh, y- you do bring up a good point that uh, in uh, Empire Strikes Back, when Luke le- leaves Dagobah, he has that ladder there that he uses to climb up into, the, uh, into his jet. And then, uh, what, he just leaves it there? I mean, what, what does he do with it? He just throws it aside. So now it looks like they have a, a smaller ladder that actually extends out of the, the, the jet itself. And I think then, I think Yoda just magicked it away. I think eventually we're going to see a cut, aren't we? Where he's like, uses the force to pick up all that. Well, you know, it into the swim, you know? And, and Yoda is short of stature, so maybe he thought, well, I could use this. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one one so, man's trash is another man's treasure. <laughs> yeah, I, I just like the rationality of it. I know, I know, Ralph would approve because you know that kind of thing would would irritate him. It was all about function, you know. So it's it's it's. It, I'm sure that if he'd been asked to sort of you know to think of of that, that sort of thing, that would have been a, a a sort of solution he would have come up with, you know, kind of telescoping ladder or something. Looks great, doesn't it? I, I just kind of felt like at the end of seeing that clip, you know, the first time. One of about five hundred times. I'm sure the rest of the world's been the same. Play it again, play it again, play it again. But the uh, I expected it to fly off. Yeah, you know, kind of <laughs> you got in it, and there goes the little kind of mouse droid. I was like, oh, go on, take off, take off. Yeah, and, and no, the mouse droid looking very functional on that sandy yeah. surface. That thing know, motored right? along pretty fast. He zooted, zooted along, didn't it? And it looked mm. like it was a practical too. I don't think it was done in post. Yeah, it was a little bumpy thing. Yeah. So. Yeah. Some some like fans did you, did you, they they even dropped in the sound effects didn't they the little yep the little noises <laughs> so um <laughs> and and some fans have identified the uh, actual type of ladder that is used for the ship it's it's a <laughs> it has actually uh, uh, it, you can buy it it's you can actually buy it it's called <laughs> it's called the Extend and Climb 780P Pro Series. And it's a. Uh, it's no fan like a Star Wars fan, is it? No, you can uh, find <laughs> inf- amazing. information about the ladder at extendandclimb.com. But uh, yeah, there it is. And uh, that apparently it's, um, it's a collapsible ladder. You know, they call it the signature true telescoping ladder. The film's not even out yet, and everybody's figured out where to get the props. It's brilliant. I love it. <laughs> They're all hunting so, them down. So, yeah, that's uh, fantastic. I like that level of love. So that's it's very cool. cool. And of course, where was the first time we saw this uh, design? Um, it, it, it is the Ralph McQuarrie painting of the X-Wing in the Death Star Trench as it's being pursued it's, by a TIE fighter. Yeah, it's very close to that. I mean, that, that was based on a study that, that Joe did, you know, Joe Johnson. But, mm-hmm. but it, it, it's very close. There are similarities and there are differences. You know, there are things about it that look the same and stuff that's that's been altered. But I mean, I was kind of... I had my fingers crossed that we're going to literally just match it exactly and kind of give it an orange paint job and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, they're obviously pulling from different places. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of 90% Ralph, so I would say. It's certainly, what's really sweet about this, though, is that you kind of feel as though, you know, when you look back at the, the first movies, you kind of feel as though they, everything was beautiful and looked great. But the, the, the designs, you know, they, they kind of got as close as they could to the designs within, you know, the, the time constraints and the financial constraints that they had. But obviously now that Star Wars is this worldwide phenomena and we have all this new technology at our disposal to make things and to scale stuff up. I mean, we use computers all the time, you know, in the design department to, to sort of like, you know, 
uh, transfer tiny sketches into into huge props and things like that. And uh, Star Wars will be no exception to that. So so nowadays they can it's far easier, or at least far more kind of quantifiable to to sort of like take a design and translate it into something very real. And uh, so for me, it's it's almost it's as if they they're able to get closer to some of Ralph's stuff than they could do even in the original sort of days. You know, it kind of feels like they're they're almost playing kind of closer homage to to his to his work than they did originally. You know, and, and right. I think that's really exciting that they're going to do that. I mean, I just can't wait to see what else is going to pop up that just really you know is a very very close to Ralph's stuff. So many of his ideas. I remember Ralph sort of commented on the fact that. You know, he had a lot of kind of crazy ideas for Astromechs back at when, you know, when he was first brought on board and he came up with ideas that were like basically kind of like R2s that might roll or hop or all these different things. And uh, it would have been a nightmare to try and make those work, you know, back in the 70s. But now, obviously, it'd be a doddle with uh, CGI. You know, we could potentially have like Astromechs that roll around on a ball or... Right, right, yeah. So, I mean, for example, you know, so I I can't wait to see what else might turn up because there's so much stuff that Ralph did that wasn't used. Yeah, very true, very true. So uh, pretty exciting to be getting a glimpse of uh, our first ship from... Oh, it's uh, just... Crazy excited! It's, it's crazy exciting. Uh, it's like it's, it's ridiculous. It's like this. Mm. This clip is like two minutes long. I've already watched it about five thousand times. Hey, let's talk about the wings real quickly because I think some people are confused about the way you describe them. As you say, they're going to be opening up vertically and everything. What you're yeah. saying is they kind of are going to operate like a scissors in a way, where one wing will be in front of the other wing. Yeah, if you if you treat it as one wing and just slice it along the length. Right, mm-hmm. so like right down the middle. Right. Sort of along, if you if you if you slice it along the top, that's the best way to describe it. Down the middle, you know. And then I think so. I think that'll flip one way and then the other way. Somebody actually posted an animation of how they thought it would open, and it was exactly the same as the the, the thing that I had in mind. So what I'll do is I'll post a link to that on uh, RFR if you like, Jimmy. Then people can kind of understand it. It's difficult to describe, isn't it? Yeah, that's that is, um, but like a like a scissors. So, so yeah, it's kind, kind of, of smaller wings, and they're going to be uh, one not necessarily right on top of the other when they split in half. Yeah, well, I think the I think the engines will just open up like you know the the old X wing engines did do. We had you know the two round engines on top of each other. So I think mm. the two halves will separate, but then the, the actual wings themselves will split in half, and you'll get. Like narrower wings, one a little bit further back than the other. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. You know, when I first saw Star Wars, the very first time I was in the theater watching the film, Mm. and they were approaching the Death Star, and they put the S foils into attack position, and (laughs) those wings opened up. Paul, I didn't know that the wings would split like that. I yeah, had I didn't no know idea. They would move. I mean, I'd seen pictures of them. I actually read all of Star Wars and the big Marvel sort of super specials before it got released over here. Uh-huh. So I, I, you know, all I saw was kind of pictures of X wings with the wings open, and I didn't really pay that much attention to the ones that were short. No, it's, you know? it's rare. It, it is rare. And I mean, I was so late to the party that summer, summer of '77. <laughs> I really was, and yeah. somehow, some way, I avoided. Mm. exposure to the film i avoided spoilers i mm. avoided everything i knew it was something that some of my friends had gone to see but yeah. it just seemed like it really you know kept growing and growing and growing and mm. as far as you know public knowledge of it it's not like today where it's a second language to a lot of people but um 
We 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 just got like a there was a just an energy coming across the the Atlantic, you know, like when it when it was on the news on on the BBC News, it was it was just clear that something was going off in America. Yeah. And even though I was only eleven, you know, in seventy seven, and didn't really pay that much attention to the news, mm-hmm. you know, cause you don't when you're eleven, do you? You're not remotely interested in. No, of course not. No. But then you could just you could just tell because films were just not talked about on the news. They, they normally weren't newsworthy, you know. And then there's this there's this footage of of the kids in America going crazy, you know, and uh, I immediately kind of started paying attention. I don't I don't know why, but there was just something about it that kind of went. I need to notice this, you know. And then they showed the the, the first trailers with the with the Falcons sort of chasing the Tie Fighters and all that. And I knew straight away this is just gonna absorb my life. <laughs> <laughs> so many people, but I, I think like yeah, I mean, but in terms of kind of like images and stuff there definitely wasn't a lot out there was there so you didn't know what to expect i mean this just does feel like the 70s all over again doesn't it it's strange i mean i kind of like got a little bit of that with the you know when the prequel era was upon us like coming up to the late 90s you know like kind of it was exciting to hear and there was a new stars on the way and stuff but but these images are just so you know old school that it's just yeah it's it's very hard not to get that feeling again where you're just going to feel like this is the 70s all over and they're they're definitely shooting for that you know that classic look. I mean, that classic. Although, look. although you can see the new touches, you know, it, it's obviously the engine sort of looks like it's a bit sleeker and a bit more silvery and more powerful. Um, and the helmet on the pilot looks a little bit more you know modern and. But ironically, it's got a bit of the kind of clone war, clone vibe to it as well. So it's kind of like a little retro. Um, you know, I, th- I think uh, you know ninety nine percent of it is like old school all the way, and I'm really happy about that. That's you know, brilliant. What would uh, what would you think if uh, this ship is actually an earlier version of an X-wing? I guess it could be, couldn't it? It you could know, be. Yeah. I mean, people have been talking about being a Z ninety five headhunter and all that, haven't they? But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That's kind of a year, isn't it? I think uh, you know Z ninety five headhunter. I certainly hope not, because those are boring versions of X wings. The wings yeah. don't open up. No, give me a ship where the wings are split in half and turn me back into that kid, eight year old kid in a movie theater in seventy seven, seeing it for the first time, jaw hitting floor. Trust Absolutely. me. And you know well, what? They redid that for the special edition. And you will not often hear me complain much about yeah. the improvements they made to the Battle of Yavin in Star yeah. Wars Episode Seven Special Edition. You won't hear me complain about that because I really think they improved it a lot. Mm-hmm. But that sequence where the X-Wings, the S-Foils split into attack position for the first time is shot mm. differently in the uh, special edition version. And to me, it did, doesn't have that impact that it had when yeah. I saw it ori- in the original version. That's just like one little nitpicky part. I think because- it's subliminal. I think, I think if you watch it a dozen times, you, you know, you start to kind of like, you start to notice what, you know what it is that you, you're subconsciously kind of picking up on, and the thing with the X wings in the special editions is that they're they're pretty much battle damaged identically. So when you start kind of paying attention to it, you kind of go, "That mark is on all of the ships and all the pilots." Of course, are John Knoll, aren't they? They're all they're all head scans of John. <laughs> is that right? So, I didn't know that. Yeah, no as I understand, I think it was. Well, I know initially it was anyway because it was using was it using Cinema 4D or something like that? Like a really off the shelf package initially to to to. Uh, to put together a mock-up of the animation to prove prove that it could be done, mm. but uh, certainly initially it was uh, they just used a head scan because I think they had a head scanner John. So crazy, crazy. So so maybe there's a chance for me to be all the X-wing pilots in the sequel. So I had a full body body scan a couple of times now. 
just have to send them my data and go, please, please make me all the pilots. Yeah, people would be really happy about that, wouldn't they? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, you know what? It's really amazing to be seeing this X-Wing. So that's uh, we're looking at the future for uh, Star Wars Episode Seven to be seeing that ship in action. But let's look... Uh, Sorry, Jimmy. I've got to say something before it. Okay, goes. all right. Go just, ahead. I was just thinking, like you know, like I'm 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 off in the bar humbug in terms of collectors. You know, like because I'm out of all of us, all, all the you know, all our friends and stuff like that. I'm probably the one who collects the least. You know, I like all the behind the scenes stuff, but I'm not so much kind of like a collector. But did you have the same feeling when you looked at this, where it was like, oh my god, this money movie is going to cost me so much money? Oh, because I just looked at this and went one, and it's like. <laughs> If the rest of the ships and the rest of the you know stuff looks this cool, uh, it's just the money's just going to fall out of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, as as someone who is a, a I'd say a, a fairly steady Star Wars collector, I have been appreciating the last couple of years because the product hasn't been coming out in such heavy volume as it has in the past. So it's given me some time to replenish some funds that I know are going to be necessary this time come (laughs) next year or a little later in the year when we really start seeing the merchandise push for Star Wars Episode Seven happen. But, of course, we have Star Wars Rebels coming up, too. And uh, I know I'll be picking up some uh, action figures from that show. But, you know, far from a completionist, trust me on that. Um, Mm. But, uh, yeah, like I said, we're talking Star Wars of the future. I want to go back into the past and talk about some uh, influences on some old school Star Wars or Star Wars that we know really well and maybe have taken for granted for all these years. And uh, Paul, as, as, as you do, I, I really love it when you do this. You have supplied me with a visual guide for a few things you'd like to talk about. <laughs> yeah, and so this I had is a nerd out moment, didn't I? So I'll, <laughs> they're cool. They're really cool the way you, you do it. You make them look like the old Topps Star Wars cards, the original ones from the 70s and uh, – they have a gray background with the star field as opposed to the uh, traditional blue, red, yellow, green, and brown, <laughs> I, or orange, I guess. Those were mm. the original five colors, right, of the top series? Mm. I think so. Yeah, just figured it was a nice way to tie them all together and uh, just separates it from all the other stuff on the web, doesn't it? So. Well, it's really cool. And it's something that I'm going to share with everyone. I'll put it up on our Facebook page. I'll look for links on Twitter, and we'll also have it at uh, rebelforceradio.com at Shot Glass Digital. Mm. But let's start with uh, card number one, and it's uh, <laughs> Wookiees. And so I'm seeing what looks to be um, – I, I, I can't tell if these are actual Wookiee like, concept drawings or if these are some other creatures. Well, these are f- f- painted – well, images by a guy called uh, John Scherner. And they were in a, an old – well, before I kind of get into the specifics, this is going to be quite a random kind of like breakdown of a bunch of stuff. But it was just – a lot of people have asked me about a number of different images, so I figured it would be nice to kind of pull together a, a kind of quite a disparate set of images. So, so some of – you know, this is from all over the place, all kinds of different imagery which – you know, may or may or may not have influenced the original sort of Star Wars designs, um, and I just thought this would be a nice way to kind of pull pull them all to, all the random stuff together, you know, and uh, and share it because I know in the past we've done like you know individual comic books and things like that, but I thought it would be nice to kind of pull together some of the more kind of you know um, 
obvious kind of images that that people won't have seen. So yeah, the, this 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 first image is by a guy called John, John Shona, and it, it was in a July '75 issue of uh, a pulp science fiction mag- magazine called Analog. And um, these images were done for for a little short story called um, "And Seven Times Never Kill a Man" by a guy called George Martin. And um, it, as you can kind of see in these images, that they're, they're clearly kind of like fairy creatures that really resemble Wookies, and they even have something that looks like a bowcaster. So uh, whether they fire lasers or arrows or whatever, they certainly look like kind of futuristic crossbows. And um, uh, the the first sort of sketch on the left uh, that I included. You know that that resembles quite strongly a, a, a sketch that Ralph was asked to do, and and it, it's quite obvious to me that it was one of the early sort of stages in developing the Wookiees, where George is quite likely to have just given him this image and said, you know, do me a mail one of these, you know. So along the way in the process of the design, Ralph did a quite a literal kind of flight like translation of the Wookiees on the left, and uh, basically just kind of took the boobs off, <laughs> and made them. Made them male, but obviously, you know, the, the Wookiees went through a lot of evolution. But, you know, the thing people need to bear in mind is that when a movie is designed, I think I've said this before, but, but you know, when a movie is designed, it's all about getting to the finish line, you know, um, and and it's quite a challenge. And I think sometimes, you know, people will be surprised at the process. And, and this is one of these things where I think sometimes the director just says, give me this, but with this small change and we'll go from there. And, uh, you know, back in the 70s, people weren't, you know, expecting to sort of see their artwork reproduced, um, you know, for everybody to kind of consume. It was just part of a process of getting to what we ended up seeing in the movies. And obviously Chewbacca doesn't really resemble these designs as uh, as much as Ralph's art did. Like, you know, so um, and I'm sure that George and, and all the team were aware of the fact that the Wookiees would carry on evolving from this point onwards. But this this image does seem to me like it was a, a very obvious influence in the early early stages of, of designing the Wookiees. But I really like them. I quite like the grey ones too. I think they look kind of cool. I was actually quite disappointed when the Wookiees all turned out to be brown in uh, Revenge of the Sith. I was hoping for a few, you know, very, very colourful Wookiees. I thought we'd get some black ones and orange ones. And, mm. but maybe, maybe we still will. But, yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it, it certainly it looks like a Wookiee to me. What do you think, Jimmy? Oh, I, I think without a question it's a, it's a Wookiee. Um you know, you do get a gray Wookiee in the Star Wars holiday special, so that must have been a, th- a thrill for you. Um, <laughs> but a toothless um, gray Wookiee. But you know, um, Wookiees. Uh, you know, George himself said when he was inspired to create the character of Chewbacca as a Wookiee, he was thinking about his dog who would ride shotgun with him. It was a big Malamute who was very furry and. He would sit in the car with him, and it just I think the 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 mental imagery that George would conjure up of he and his dog flying a ship through space was just too funny, and so he might have had some of his art department research this, and he might have said something to him like along the lines of, "Find me any sort of furry creatures from mythology or fiction or comics." And they went out and found him some images or perhaps George just happened to know where to look. And he came up with these images of uh, what looked to be prototype Wookiees by John Scherner. I think the last probably the most likely because I know, I know that I know that George did provide, you know, Ralph and a couple of the other artists with with, you know, envelopes full of art to look at mm-hmm. and stuff that he, that he liked the look of as a jumping off point. So it seems quite likely to me, especially being as this was around about the same time. It kind of came out in July 75. So it's, it's quite likely that, 
this had just come out, you know. So oh, uh, yeah. it seems very likely. But I love the look of this Wookiee. It's almost like a shaven Wookiee, isn't he? He's, got, he's trimmed his chin. <laughs> oh, yeah, he does look well quaffed. Um, yeah. And then the one in the background is clearly hold, holding a crossbow. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we'll have this image. Uh, you'll find it on our Facebook page for sure. So uh, that's Wookiees as uh, influenced by John Scherner and his artwork. Very cool. And uh, as I continue to look at more images here, Paul, I, I see you have a lot of influences going on here for the Imperial Walkers. And uh, walking um, transportation has been something that has been on the mind of science fiction illustrators and authors going back into the uh, prime time of science fiction, like the 40s and 50s. And you have some examples here. The first one appears in what looks to be a, a pulp magazine called Lion. It's the Lion Annual from 1958. And there's definitely a couple of walking transportation devices here. One of them appears it can walk and actually pick things up, which is really interesting. So tell us a little bit about these images. <laughs> well, uh, uh, this was just a kind of like a case in point to sort of show that you know, like no no good idea gets thought more than you know once you know like they just keep coming back and back and back. Everybody's familiar with the, the walkers from the uh, uh, the tripods from the War of the Worlds and stuff like that. But if you go back to sort of any kind of pulp science fiction magazine, there are, there are thousands of these things. You know, the reason these two kind of jumped out at me were that um, the the one on the right from the line annual. If you look at the foot mechanism, somebody's come up with a really sort of similar solution to the to the how the walker actually kind of worked in the Empire Strikes Back. It's got like a swinging kind of cantilever joint that looks just like the walker if you look at it closely. But yeah, they've, they've all got arms, haven't they? And I like the one on the left too because it's like a two legged walker in the middle of the forest. But um, I just I just thought, yeah, that's it. the the scout walkers needed arms because that would have been hysterical if they picked up trees and like you know use them as cricket bats to hit the Ewoks around the around the head or something, you know, but. <laughs> but I just thought it's it's nice to sort of see that you know these ideas kind of you know come back and back and back and and um, you know I, I, th- I think it just sort of shows how how you know people have always been excited by the idea of these kind of walking machines and I'm sure that down the road you know when Empire's been out for fifty years or whatever somebody else will come out with a, another movie that has walkers in it that that are kind of inspired by them you know it's just I think folks are too quick these days to kind of like shout rip off you know but it's I, th- I think. You know, everybody gets excited about the same stuff and, and uh, everything influences everything else. And it's it's a never-ending cycle, really, of kind of like people reinventing the wheel, isn't it? You know, Could you imagine if the Empire sent scout walkers to the planet Endor that had <laughs> arms and hands yeah. that could grab? Come here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Ewoks, <laughs> yeah, just like they, all the they swing them. the logs at them and they just stop them, just like <laughs> grab up them and just smash Ewoks with the logs. That'd be great. Oh man, poor Ewoks. <laughs> now, tell us a little bit about the artist Sid Mead and his connection to walking transportation. Yeah, well, Sid, Sid, you know, obviously was uh, he went to the art center like Ralph did, and uh, you know they were friends and and. Uh, you know, they'd worked together a, a number of times and what have you. And, and Ralph was, a, you know, really appreciated Sid's work. I think Sid was, he, he went through like a couple of years before before Ralph did. And, and I know that his artwork was was on the walls and stuff when when Ralph was a student. <clears throat> and um, the uh, Sid Sid was always doing sort of science fiction images, even back when he was really kind of doing stuff that was predominantly real world. He was doing things to kind of promote car companies and 
you know, like yachting companies and things like that. So long before he kind of got into into the whole kind of film design, he was doing a lot of stuff for industry. And uh, he put together this portfolio um, for US Steel, which was called the Portfolio of Possibilities. And it was basically just trying to get people excited about the the potential use of steel in the future and and where it, where it might be going and and sort of basically sort of look at the future with. Uh, you know, excited at the possibilities of the material and things like that. So he kind of came up with these things and including a, a, a bunch of uh, different, you know, machinery that's futuristic. And, and one of the ones that kind of always makes the fan sit up is this, uh, this image he did of, uh, of a bunch of what, I mean, essentially looks just like walkers, but kind of headless. Um, and, and basically like the, the legs are, are so close to the ones that are in the movie. Um, certainly all the joints and stuff like that. And I understand he was kind of contacted about these and was kind of cool with them riffing on, on, you know, some of the solutions that he came up with. Cause I think he thought, you know, that his idea was a kind of like a sensible way to kind of approach these joints and, and, and maybe something that was quite a practical kind of solution to, to, uh, to building a real walking machine. So I think he, he kind of felt like, well, this is, you know, this me kind of like, you know, complaining about the fact that people would, uh, closely adhere to my concept would be a bit like saying you can't put wheels on that you know because that 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 to him would seem like an elegant and, and appropriate solution so he, he wouldn't kind of consider it his thing he'd kind of consider it like well this is this is how you would do it and it's not just my idea it's like eventually a lot of other designers would come to the same realization you know so uh so we, yeah he designed these beautiful walkers that are walking through the snow and and the, there's a cab on the side and everything, and and I love this painting. I know that I know that Ralph liked it too. So, have you seen this before, Jimmy? I familiar? have been familiar with some of this stuff Sid Mead has done. I don't know mm. if I saw a feature in it in Star Wars Insider magazine. I think maybe that's where I've seen some of this stuff before. Yeah, but uh, you you definitely do see the similarities in the. Um, the the photo here obviously them walking in a snowy terrain makes it mm. instantly familiar but for sure the uh the the feet so to speak of the walker are are definitely uh something that could have been a huge inspiration on the uh adats we see in empire and then uh these other ones with moonwalkers um and i'm not talking about michael jackson um, <laughs> actually they they're called moon striders yeah, I mean, that's just something I've heard them referred as. I think yeah. they're actually called walking cargo vehicles, I mm-hmm. think, if I remember right. They're in a, a book by Sid called Obligon that I think I'll have to dig it out and look it up. But, um, yeah, very a similar thing, isn't it? Four legs, you know, mm-hmm. again, cab on the side, you know. But uh, these are a lot different, aren't they? They don't look a lot like the – they're more kind of like two human legs or something. More, more kind of, you know, bipedal kind of set up, aren't they? Even though they've got four legs, it's like two people. But uh, Interesting, though, aren't they? Yes, very much so. Very much so. Um, So, like we said, that's something that gets sort of explored from time to time in science fiction and comics and things of that nature. And and War of the Worlds, as you mentioned at the very beginning, is uh, definitely uh, probably those are next to the Adats. Those are probably the most famous walkers of all time. Definitely. I I think if you give any any kid a pen now, I mean, I remember – you know, back in the seventies, sort of sitting with a with a biro and kind of scribbling away, you know, sort of drawing stuff before Star Wars was on the scene. And I remember filling filling notepads full of like vehicles, and it'd be you know um, cable cars and walkers and things like that. I think any any kid that's into sci fi will end, eventually just naturally end up drawing 
spaceships with legs, weren't they? You know, I think it's just it's just normal. But um, Sid, I mean, Sid, for anybody who's not really aware of Sid's work, I imagine most people are aware of Sid's work, but obviously he went on to design a lot of movies. He worked on Alien and uh, a ton of other stuff, Blade Runner and, uh, sorry, Aliens he worked on and uh, Blade Runner and a bunch of other stuff. But I mean, Ralph and... Uh, Sid worked together on a number of projects, but one thing that I thought was really sweet that I, that I noticed when I was kind of rummaging through a bunch of Ralph's art was that he and he and Sid worked on a, a Pepsi commercial years ago, and it was basically kind of about a futuristic city being kind of um, digging up like a Pepsi machine, uh, like from an uh, archaeological dig. And um, they had all these little spaceships flying around and stuff like that. And Ralph and Sid were designing all the different stuff. And there's a sketch that Ralph did where he said, you know, ask ask Sid to design this ship because he's better at spaceships than I am, which I thought was really, really sort of sweet. So there, there is there is definitely kind of a crossover in, uh, you know, that comes from from Ralph like in Sid's artwork. So, uh, you know, it doesn't surprise me that there is, there is stuff that kind of resembles stoles in, in Sid's art, whether it's conscious or unconscious. I think it's it's definitely an influence. Yeah. For sure. For sure. And so let's talk a little bit about maybe some art direction influences on Bespin, Cloud City, specifically. Well, I mean, uh, Sid's obviously likes his skies and he likes his chrome and he likes all these kind of like big slick, you know, kind of architectural statements. And, uh, you know, Bespin is a perfect example of that kind of stylized, you know, slick, giant kind of futuristic cityscape. And uh, Sid did a number of images of of, uh, of buildings, which I kind of think at least resemble Bespin quite a lot. Um, generally, you know, they're, they're sort of like elongated towers with a bit large platform on top. You know, some of them are kind of self-supporting. Some of them are kind of like glued to the floor and stuff like that. But they're kind of repeating shapes that occur quite a lot. And although I know it seems that Bespin, the main, kind of influence on that was the was the um you know the city in the clouds from the original flash gordon stories um definitely the kind of like the slick you know more kind of futuristic way of of designing it and stuff seems to have been influenced by many of sid's paintings and uh so i sent over a bunch of those to share with people that might not be familiar that that he keeps kind of you know repeating this this kind of design where you get like a like i say just buildings that look like best bin floating in the sky and they quite often have these kind of you know dusky uh, purpley skies as well, which kind of, you know, obviously Bespin's known for its kind of, you know, twilight skies and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, it seems, seems to be an influence to me, Jimmy. What do you think? I oh, think yeah. First, well, I, I see it. I mean, I see it. Some of Sid's work looks a little more balloon-like. Than, yeah, it does. You know, so, I mean, I, I think that's what he might be trying to represent here. But there's also, yeah, definitely, uh, wow, I mean, really sleek, futuristic-looking curves and chrome as you say and mm. really interesting uh, looks at uh at bespin however the last image you give me looks mm. something like this the underworld from star wars yes. the clone wars well i i'll tell you what that always reminds me of is uh you know the 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 kind of i don't know what they call them like cooling towers or whatever where 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 um Luke and Vader are having the fight in the in the belly of Bespin, you know, and they walk out on the platform and he drops. Now, this image always reminds me of that. It's a very similar, because there is a similar painting that Ralph did of um, <clears throat> all the buildings where Vader's hunting for, for Luke and he's obviously kind of hiding inside one of these kind of um, protuberances on the uh, in, inside Bespin just before he kind of takes a dive. Uh, and it's it's that area that I always think of when I see this, Jimmy. You know, like that. Just the fact that it's a huge tunnel that Luke can fall down. You know, 
Yeah. So, oh, I well, see what you're saying. See yeah. what I mean? Like we're mm-hmm. kind of looking at it. Obviously, for this, it almost looks like a like a train track or something, or a uh, like a tube tunnel or something. Um, but if you kind of flip it the other way, you kind of go, oh yeah, it's kind of got the same vibe as that. You know where he where he drops. You know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. If if you compare this to some of like Ralph's, you know, like paintings that he did of the of the dual inside best bin, then you you kind of see where I'm coming from, I think. But uh, this one's called, um, I think it's called Disaster. Disaster. So it's, it's like it's meant to be like a sort of a, a huge kind of blowout in a. Sure, you see it, yeah, for sure. Train crash or something. Uh, oh, that's yeah. crazy looking. Yeah, if you can look at this from a duff- a bunch of different perspectives and, yeah, and see so it a different way. It, so. Yeah, you see it a different way every time. So again. As I said, if you want to follow along with our visual guide, be sure to check out our Facebook page, look for the show posts for this very show, or uh, visit shotglassdigital.com and uh, click on Star Wars Influences. It'll be part of our show post. Yeah, I have to say, sorry, folks, if this all seems a bit abstract, you know, but once you've got the images, it'll all make sense, you know, but it is one of those things where it'd be very, very wordy to describe every single thing that we're looking at. It's, it's, it's hard to kind of paint a picture for you. So, and it doesn't stop there with Sid Mead. He also may have had some influence on the Astromech Dome, specifically. Well, yeah, this is, it's probably a stretch, right? I mean, but I, I kind of look at these and I've always thought, oh, they look like kind of R2 heads, you know, like kind of, it's got that similar vibe to it. Bearing in mind that there wasn't really anything out there that looked like that back then, you know, it's kind of got that, do you think it's got that vibe? You know, kind of like red red panels and blue panels on a white dome. Yeah, I see it. I mean, I, I see it, obviously. I don't know if I would immediately jump to that conclusion unless someone sort of pushed me in that direction. Said, hey, yeah. look, look, don't those look like R2 domes? Because when I look at them, I say, oh, yeah, well, they do. It's a ship on water, and yeah. up on top of the ship, you can clearly see four giant domes that uh, may be serving as umbrellas on the top. I. <laughs> I think, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's definitely a stretch. I mean, it's like I think it's called Super Yacht or something. This image, but uh, yeah, I just I just love the look of it, and for me, it kind of really feels like it's got that astromech coolness to it. So whether it was or it wasn't an influence, I think it's this. Yeah, it's got a similar vibe. It looks like a boat for robots, doesn't it? A boat for droids. Droid boat. Yeah, the it's droid maybe, maybe boat. Yacht. It's where Arto goes, and yeah. Saturdays on ABC. <laughs> The Droid Boat, R2-D2, C-3PO, Florence Henderson, Dick Van Patten, and Charo this week. Um, okay, so moving on. We've had, we're done having our fun now. Let's get back into the serious discussion of artwork. Um, I know the name Robert Fawcett. Right. Uh, what would I know him from? Well, he's he's a famous illustrator, and he, he, he this is this is an uncommon sort of approach for him. He, you know, Robert did all kinds of artwork, very very traditional looking illustrator. If you look at a lot of his artwork, you you know, you'd have a hard time. He was a jobbing illustrator, and he did all kinds of work that was, um, you know, suited to purpose. So his style kind of varies quite a lot. Um, but he's one of those one of those guys that you know, kind of people who really understand illustration can kind of keep going back to he's, he's a real illustrated illustrator. He kind of wrote the book on, on, you know, how to do certain types of artwork and stuff like that. And, uh, Ralph was a huge fan of Robert Fawcett. And, uh, I don't think it's immediately apparent because a lot of, a lot of Robert's artwork is figurative. So, you know, you'll get kind of a bunch of people talking in a shop or something like that. But when he got into his landscapes and started doing, uh, you know, landscape paintings, a lot of it became kind of quite, 
abstract and a little animation-y looking, you know, when you sort of look at it, it's almost got like a, it's simplified, it's stylized, it's a little bit futurist, but the, it's the use of colors that strikes me the most about, uh, there's a couple of paintings that Robert did of, of uh, the Antarctic and Antarctic explorers. And it, to me, it's just like absolutely right. Here's, here's where Ralph got his, his, his color schemes for his empire paintings from, um, given that he was such a huge Robert Fawcett fan and, and the colors are just identical you know, a lot, a lot of the, a lot of the hues are really vibrant, you know, really zingy. And I realize that we get that out in the real world, but never quite as, uh, as flat and as, uh, as kind of clearly kind of, you know, delineated as they are in a faucet painting. And, uh, it's not until kind of Ralph comes along and does his empire paintings that we get anything that even resembles these. So, so for me, it's, it's, it's a clear influence on Ralph's Hoth imagery. But, uh, what do you think, Jimmy? Do you see it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It, it clearly resembles the, uh, the mm-hmm. terrain of, uh, of Hoth as we see in the film. And, you know, as we see in real life in Norway, it's, uh, yeah. the encampment is in the, in the background is very cool. I really like how Fawcett decided to put it in the background like that and not make it up front center focus of, yeah. of the drawing. And, uh, and, uh, did you say he, uh, followed this up with maybe, a painting that actually did show that encampment in in greater detail or no? He did uh, not that particular encampment, but I, I think like, you know, there are all the images in this sort of series. There are a few. I'll try and dig them out and uh, maybe post a few more. But this, this one is the one that really kind of shouts out to me that like, look at this. It's, it's Hoth, you know, it's really just the hues. It's these really specific blues that Ralph used all the time, you know, that people have a real tough time kind of replicating. <laughs> yeah, for you know, sure. it's, 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 it's really zingy. And, and like you say, people don't normally paint snow this way, you know? So huh. very cool. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> and, uh, last but not least, we get a good look at, uh, the R one droid from, uh, star Wars episode four, new hope is, you know, every, every fan remembers, uh, he was part of the, the droid lineup droids for sale with uncle Owen. Um, he is a big, <laughs> He's like a prototype version of an R2 droid. He's just very large, and he's um, uh, strangely shaped for sure. He was uh, (laughs) uh, definitely part of that droid lineup. I know uh, Hasbro made an action figure of him a few years ago. A big black droid with uh, some blue and yellow detail. Um, Looks like a kind of a big vacuum cleaner or... uh, Boy, oh boy, it's, it's, it's such a unique design. <laughs> it's unusual, isn't it? It is very unusual. So that's the R1 droid. And we find that uh, Roger Christian, who we spoke to on Rebel Force Radio a few months ago, you and me, he mm-hmm. was the guy who was the uh, set decorator, one of the set decorators for the original Star Wars. And uh, this is a work of his. The R1 droid comes from the mind of Roger Christian, but it did have its influences somewhere else. Earlier in the 70s, there is an example of that R1 droid on the front cover of a book by Isaac Asimov. Why don't you tell us a little bit about this? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it was, I was aware of this for years and years and years because you know, as a kid, I used to troll all the market stalls for kind of old science fiction you know, on, on book covers and stuff. And uh, the thing about a lot of the 70s kind of sci-fi art by, by people like Chris Foss was they were used and used again. You know, it's not so much like it is now where, where artwork would just sort of show up on one book and that's that. You know, back in the 70s, they'd keep reusing artwork, reframe it, recolor it, you know, change it, mess around with it. So this artwork was used on, on a number of occasions. And 
company called Granada commissioned this painting by Chris Voss, and it's called Space Gun, and it's from 73. And uh, we finally kind of found out how come, um, you know, the old one unit looks like this droid. And it was basically because Roger liked this artwork and, and was a big fan of Chris Voss and thought it would be cool to try and kind of, you know, uh, include a little bit of a, a Fossism in the, uh, in the Jawa scene. So he, he went for his, his spin on it. But apparently the, the, the thing that it's based off is actually just a gun. That's all it is. It's a, it's a, you know, a giant anti-aircraft kind of, you know, uh, machine, but it's not necessarily a robot that walks around. It's just like a, a kind of like a tower with a gun on it. Um, but you know, Roger kind of took that and turned it into the, the lovable giant droid that we all know and love and spot the shoes, um, when it walks across screen, don't we? But, uh, yeah, I think it's wicked. I love the fact he's even copied all the writing on it as well. I think that's, that, that was a fun thing to do. I think it, it definitely, uh, yeah, I really like the old one union. I hope we get more of this kind of stuff in the, in episode seven. I think it would be, it would be cool to get a bit of a throwback to this sort of 70 sci-fi. Or, what oh, do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a direct influence on the R1 droid. It, it really is. Um, mm. there, there's no question about it. It's, um, it's a cousin, actually. I mean, they look so much alike, and uh, it's very cool to see. I'm trying to figure out what the name of the R1 droid is. He uh, he does have a name, and I feel he deserves some credit here on Star Wars Influences. <laughs> His name is R1G4. That's uh-huh. what I that's what I thought it was, but I didn't want to I didn't want to say <laughs> it incorrectly. Me, I couldn't even remember he was an R1 unit. <clears throat> I couldn't even uh, R1G4. Yeah, the the story behind those droids. If I can uh, jump on the Wikipedia real quick, uh, according to uh, the Wikipedia definition of R1G4, uh, R1G4 was an R1 series astromech droid produced by industrial automation prior to the Battle of Yavin. Well, that doesn't tell us much, but uh, let's see. I mean, if they, if they know anything about uh, no, there's you know, there's absolutely nothing about the background. Of this, uh, nothing about the behind-the-scenes influences of, of of what may have uh, influenced its design. I think it's no question. It's the front from the front cover of that book. Mm. Um, wait, we should add. If somebody's listening to the show and they uh, they would like to update the R one G four. Oh wait, maybe it's here when it says R one series. I'm going to click on that and uh, history. Da, 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 da. No, no, it's all in-universe history. So there's no behind-the-scenes information on w- Wikipedia for the R1 series astromech droid. So if you uh, are listening to the show and you have an account at Wikipedia, which I don't, uh, feel <laughs> free to update this particular article because uh, I think— I always, uh, I, I always wonder when I, when I see an R1 unit. is okay, so the R1's massive, mm-hmm. and R2 is about half the size. Mm-hmm. When we get an R three, shouldn't it be like tiny? Yeah, you know, it's like a, a wristwatch. It's like a wristwatch. Yeah. It, it keeps getting smaller. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, you do see an R one in the Phantom Menace as well. You can see him lurking in the background at Watto Shop. Oh, it's kind of like an R one. Yeah, it's a little different, isn't it? Is it? I thought it was. It's domier. Yeah, it's a different shape. It's it's close. It's close. It's domier. <laughs> Is that what you said? Yeah, I know. It's right. Domier. Oh, yeah, you and all your tech talk. <laughs> they obviously had a different rubbish bin. They were using like different parts, weren't they? Oh, like, Ty Tiger and his gang were throwing the droids together for that, weren't they? So I reckon that was probably like, what have we got? That rubbish bin will do. Okay, turn it upside down. Yeah, it kind of looks like an old one unit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, different shape. 
Oh, my God. So, wow, that's great stuff. I love stuff like this, Paul. And uh, you occasionally will send us stuff uh, to our, uh, our our Jedi Council. You, you'll send us some things and you'll say, hey, look, I think I found uh, where George got the last name Skywalker from. I mean, it's always just this earth-shattering stuff. And that's what I like this show to be about, to really get into all that information that you have so diligently researched over the years just as a hobby. And now I'm happy we're able to uh, get all that out there. And of course, you have a Facebook page where you've been known to post up a lot of great behind-the-scene pictures, a lot of things I've never seen before. So obviously, people can search you out on Facebook. Paul Bateman is who you're looking for. Yep. And Sure can. Yeah. They can find me boring the pants off people with lots and lots of Star Wars stuff that I, that's new to me. I always assume if it's new to me, that it's new to other people. That's, that's what I always think. So, and it seems to seems to put a smile on people's faces anyway. For sure, for sure. So I know I'm doing right when I get a, when I get a message from Pete Vilmer or something going, "What is that?" Wow. You know, yeah. he used to work in the archive, so mm-hmm. it's like yeah, if Pete hasn't seen it, now now I'm doing right. Yeah, well, you're definitely doing right here each and every month at Rebel Force Radio on Star Wars Influences, Paul. It's been a great time, great show. Uh, Really looking forward to uh, getting into some other things. Maybe uh, next show you'll tell us where George got the idea for the last name Skywalker. At least, you know, (laughs) as far as we speculate. It's about a dozen places, I think. A dozen places. Well, let's, let's try to find the first one. Let's try to figure out which one George saw. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to the bottom of this. But, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll come back next month with more Star Wars influences. So for Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jimmy Mack. I know I'm Paul Bateman. And remember, the Force will be with you always. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.